the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Let's get it going right here, right now. This is New Generation Declassified, and you're listening to an all-new episode of the New Generation Declassified here exclusively on the Two-Man Power Trip Wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week I am joined here by the greatest broadcast team this side of 1995. Of course, we talk about the Crack Broadcast team every week, and this time we get in the chair to talk about the Billionaire Ted Skits on today's episode. Oh, I am so excited to talk about this, but before we get rolling, before we get started, we must exchange the pleasantries. And Mr. CP joining me here. How are you doing tonight there, buddy? I mean, I'm doing uh, as good as I can be, Chad. You know how it is uh, at this age. My feet don't get off the ground, brother. <laughs> a lot of veil shots going to be thrown around uh, this uh, this episode. I'm sure the billionaire Ted sketches of 1996, uh, perhaps uh, the end of 1995. That's unconfirmed. Um, but uh, this is a, this is quite the fun one, and I'm sure we're going to have a lot of laughs on this episode uh, talking about these because rewatching them and reliving them, knowing like what would develop over time and like not only how the war would uh, continue, but like how basically everybody would kind of uh, get theirs in the end in some way, shape or form as it related to Vince McMahon. It's just kind of funny, but there's one thing you can say about these sketches that I'm sure we're going to talk at in great length. Vince McMahon <laughs> does not like to be challenged at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. And it, it's funny how much you can tell how, he must lose his mind when he's being challenged because, you know, a lot of these skits, when you look in the present, they seem like they're kind of hypocritical. But even if you look at that time, they seem like they're hypocritical. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. Big time. And again, this is why I love doing this show, because it's it's fun. And it's going back and watching these funny sketches that like, yes, they were a small part of the syndicated television and Monday Night Raw at the time. Um, you know, if you were kind of uh, in tune with what was going on backstage and you were reading uh, still the dirt sheets, not quite yet the Internet. If you had the Internet in 95, 96, you know, more power to you. But uh, still reading the magazines and, and a newsletter when you could grab it. But uh, this is some pretty heavy stuff, and uh, this was a lot of fun to look back on. So before we even get started, I just want to really put that out there. It's why I love doing this show, because it just it makes you smile. It makes you enjoy uh, the wrestling product. And again, I just feel like that gets lost so much, because we, as wrestling fans get so critical and get so like pissy about stuff, this was something where you just you can't do anything but laugh at it. Even in that that time, if you were a WWF guy in 95, you were laughing at this because you hated WCW and Vince McMahon was your your guy. <laughs> and yeah, absolutely. With these sketches, I mean, he, he, he definitely hit that home. It's perfect. I mean, these sketches are fun. I know I found them hilarious at the time. And yeah, we were definitely team WWF guys at that time. And it was just fun, uh, you know, no matter what you think of them. 
And, you know, wrestling should not be all negative and critical all the time. It should be about sitting back and relaxing, snapping into a Slim Jim. (laughs) (laughs) With the exaggerated snap. Um, (laughs) Yes, Slim Jims were brought up in these sketches. See, I'll take you one step back. I mean, the thing with me at this point was I just – I loved the WWF. I loved what they had to offer. I loved the presentation. But at the heart of things, I was still a tried and true Hogan Savage era guy. And it was really hard for me to see them getting criticized because was I in love with WCW at that point? Not necessarily. I watched it. I loved that there was extra programming. I always tuned in on Saturday and Sunday, no matter what channel or what station it was. But I just kind of felt like they're attacking these guys that like I'm going back and watching their tapes still from the WWF. Like you can't hate on them. You know, you can't bury them and trounce on their legacies because of the fact, you know, they, they, they got you to where you are, but little do we know more about the Ted Turner story. All I can really tell you at that point of knowing Ted Turner was that he owned the Braves and he owned TNT TBS Turner sports, Turner home entertainment. That's all I really knew at that point. So I hated Ted Turner. I love the Macho Man and Hulk Hogan. <laughs> well, that's what's so funny about those skits in general. It's like the WWF is still kind of a kid's product at the time. But those skits get into like very like serious kind of financial terms and talking about the business of Ted Turner. It's very bizarre if you're kind of marketing towards like 12-year-olds. Yeah, absolutely. And let's not also forget that poor Scheme Gene, a.k.a. Mean Gene, uh, thrown under the uh, the bus as these uh, sketches would kind of roll themselves out. But before we get rolling into it, just also joined here, of course, by the man with the golden mouse, Mr. Timmy W. Timmy, this is one of those assignments that I think is kind of funny to go back and watch these things because we're not really critiquing matches or skills or you're better at this and this. This, this was just plain old silliness. Um, and what we said was basically Vince McMahon's stamp, like right in the middle of this, because as these things develop, man, there were some hardcore shots (laughs) taken at everybody and they got downright personal. Yeah. This is like Vince finally. Can you hear guys hear me by the way? You're good. Okay. Sorry. I just wanted to make sure. Um, yeah. Um, this was Vince finally breaking that wall, you know, going against that golden rule of his that never mentioned the other, the enemy, never mentioned the other competition. This has started all the down and dirty stuff that he was doing to survive at that point. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the main players. So obviously we've mentioned Ted Turner, Hulk Hogan, the macho man, and eventually, uh, mean Gene and uh, even Larry, poor old Larry King was uh, was dragged into this fight, uh, but portrayed as uh, the huckster, the nacho man, billionaire Ted, scheme Gene and Larry Fling. Um, just again, just over the top exaggerations of each person uh, that, you know, I just mentioned. And it was uh, it was quite the knock. Uh, one thing I want to point out first before we even get rolling is the the war room that these guys are in. So they're inside of what would be a boardroom, and they're watching as dated as it could be, basically, you know, thirty five millimeter, uh, you know, film reel uh, on a on a projection screen, and they're t- they're they're talking at first about how can WCW without calling it WCW compete with the WWF. 
and they show moves of guys that ironically would all end up in WCW uh, in the, in the next year or two. But, you know, right off the bat, before we even mention the slogan at the end and the final words, just the image of billionaire Ted at the top of the table and the boardroom guys, AKA the Turner executives. And then this very thin white haired uh, man, the huckster and a kind of bulky, you know, uh, I don't know what you would call him. Uh, um, Zubaz wearing macho man or nacho man. These guys are in the boardroom. So obviously we're taking shots directly at the heart of what WCW has to offer. Taking shots about their physical ability for two guys who would not only become huge again, if they weren't still huge at this time in the next few years, but I mean, they acted like Macho, or they acted like they can't jump off the ground. Meanwhile, Macho Man's doing that flying elbow for another nine <laughs> years. <laughs> it's a damn good point. And uh, the Huckster says, "Brother, at my age, my feet don't leave the ground," which is one of my like favorite lines uh, <laughs> ever. But you know, he's got it's, it's a joke. He's got to leave the ground and hit the leg drop. I mean, come on, yeah. the Huckster could go to the second rope uh, every so often, but that was only to drop the devastating you know, double axe handle. Um, but, uh, just not very, uh, very kind, you know, very frail looking guy, uh, older gentleman with the huckster. And then the nacho man, just like a kind of a flailing his arms, idiot, uh, amongst these boardroom guys, which little Easter egg, one of the boardroom guys in this room is Vince Russo, who was still a writer at the time for the WWF. He's the gentleman at the beginning with a mustache, um that is shown um saying you know what about this one pointing out one of the moves um but the line at the end of this is you can't teach old dogs new tricks the wwf new generation on top of the hill not over it so that's about as that's about as clear a knock as possible that we're we're steering away from the old guard and our guys are young and our guys are, are vibrant and full of life. And these guys are just there for the money. And all of our guys that we're comparing to are going to be there in a few months. And that's the thing that sucks. And it's crazy because they show the footage in that first clip. It's Diesel. It's Razor Ramon. Eventually, Ahmed Johnson would end up getting a WCW maybe a few years after the, his best days. But still, all these guys would end up in WCW for the money. And it's the ironic part. But you got to think that Vince McMahon's, you know, his business was obviously threatened by Turner, but you got to think he's still feeling hurt that these guys did leave him. We talked about, yes, he didn't want Macho Man gone. He wanted to put him in the ambassador role. And I'm sure the same speaks for the Hulkster at some point, but I just feel you can't knock those two guys. Take down Ted all you want. And he never brings up Bischoff. There's no Eric Bischoff character, but the macho yeah. man and the Hulkster and mean gene, they take daggers, you know, to the back. That's also, I think Bischoff has sort of alluded to this, but I, I, from just the business world in general, I just, it makes perfect sense that he never mentioned Bischoff because he wanted it to be clear that, you know, he's competing with Ted Turner, not, not an underling. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. a great point. That's an absolutely great point. What were you going to say there, Timmy? Nah, the same thing he said that everything, you know, from my understanding, that was what it was, was uh, Bischoff was was nothing to him. And it was all, you know, that age old war that Ted and him had started, you know, years before this, that it was, you know, directly targeted at him. And 
No, uh, no evil Bischoff. Yeah, who was Eric Bischoff to him at that point? It was the guy who didn't get the announcer's job a few years earlier. The guy with the mop in his hand, yep. Right, the guy, yeah, with the mop in the uh, audition, you know, in the AWA as an announcer and manages to become an executive at WCW. Um, But again, as we'll talk about, as each episode kind of evolves, you know, the shots get a little harder and they get a little more rotten and a little deeper. And this one kind of, the first one kind of starts out a little, you know, I would say not just lighthearted, but it's it, this one's more fun. Whereas the other ones get a little edgier. This one's a little more goofy. Right? Would you agree? I would a hundred percent agree. They they go down a very different path as you get into the later episodes. Yeah. So for you first, you get them in the war room. The first couple are in the war room, and they're just reviewing the film and they're talking about things that they could do to compete with the WWF. The next one, I believe, was the one where they talk about the slogans. Which, I mean, again, if you watched back then, you're laughing at because, like, they're bringing up the original Raw slogan, you know, um, uncensored, uh, uncooked, you know, Raw, and they're talking about we can't steal that one. We've already stole stuff from other companies. Um, you know, they bring up where the big boys play. Like it just, it's, it's fun. And it's, if you're a fan, you were laughing because these things were very clear to you what they were making fun of, you know, by the time they get to like the next, the the next to last one. And the last one, you're sitting there going like, did they really sit there and pull quotes that Ted Turner said in a magazine about, yeah. <laughs> uh, se- about segregation? Like That's where the hell did that come from? <laughs> yeah. That particular one is crazy. I, I don't even, I couldn't remember that one when I was saw it today. That was one that just didn't pop in my memory. I assume it only aired once on raw ever. But. These, I can't remember if they aired it on raw and then the weekend shows, or I remember some debuting on the weekend shows and then being on raw and kind of no, like they, being, they, they all were raw. Um, debuted they were raw, all raw and then replayed on yeah. a weekend. Okay. All right. That, yeah. I mean, obviously that makes more sense. I just remember seeing a lot of them on the weekend shows, oh, yeah. um, you know, yeah, and, and, and they would have I a was, Vince. What are you going to say? Sorry. I was just going to say, I can't imagine the Ted Turner uh, game show skit being on like Saturday morning on super. <laughs> See that one. I don't remember. I specifically do remember the, uh, the first one being on there and Vince doing a whole, you know, Southern accent and saying, we're going to billionaire Ted's wrestling war room. And, you know, a lot of this goes back to the conversation that Vince McMahon had with Ted Turner back in the early eighties when uh, Vince, uh, when Ted was trying to buy uh, his way into the business and said, you know, Vince, I'm in the wrestling business. And Vince said, well, I'm in the entertainment business. And that, uh, you know, really started his disdain (laughs) for Ted Turner. (laughs) And man, I mean, if he if he could have had five minutes with Ted Turner at some point, I'm sure Vince McMahon would have killed him because these things are vicious and uh, aggressive, <laughs> to say the least. It's just so – I mean, it's just – the whole thing is so ironic, too. I mean, this is, uh, you know, a decade removed from Vince McMahon putting the whole – like every other wrestling promoter out of business, basically. Yeah, a oh. little, <laughs> little, hypocr- little hypocritical. Now, I mean, look, I, I hate to say each episode or each segment is basically a carbon copy of the other one until we get towards the end. But let me ask you about the uh, the, the actors portraying these, uh, these superstars. Uh, again, like I said, not kind to them, not very, uh, you know, accurate to the true self. But if we were to go through them individually, what's your take on, let's start with Scheme Gene, who is 
peddling a hotline throughout the entire story arc of the wrestling war room, very close associated with what mean Gene was doing in WCW where, you know, they say, Hey, at fall brawl, there's going to be a mystery partner, but I can't tell you here. You got to call the hotline. One Oh one, nine hundred nine Oh nine, 9,900, $3 a minute, $2 and 50 cents each additional minute. Kids get your parents permission. Now the WWF also had a hotline. We'll forget about that for the time being. What do you think about the actor portraying Scheme Gene, CP? Uh, as it would be, I have a lot of thoughts on that, but if you want to find them out, you're going to have to call my hotline. <laughs> at Pugs. Uh, no, yeah, I like Scheme Gene a lot, actually. He's probably my favorite of the four. Uh, I just, I love his bald cap. I mean, he's just got the cheesiest bald cap ever. And then that hotline bit, he never loses it. Every time he's acknowledged, it's plugging the hotline, like in any skit ever. It's every time. Now, is it a different scheme, Gene, a little bit later in the, the, the story? Or is it that they just gave him a more exaggerated tan later on in the uh, the, the sketches? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think his tan changed. And I think his bald cap changed, too, if I yeah, he had more of like a comb over bald cap by the end of it. And his I believe his his highlight appearance outside of the original war room is where he keeps on <laughs> he keeps on interrupting uh, Jim Ross's Royal Rumble report to to say there, there's a mystery partner, but you are mystery <laughs> man. But you got to call the hotline and the mystery guy is Vader. He keeps making the V with his hand and the mystery that he's trying to peddle on the hotline was already revealed the week before on the same Royal rumble report. So just funny how they intersected, you know, this sketch, this goofiness with the actual Royal rumble report for 96. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's great. And it's, it is funny that Jim Ross, you know, it's interrupting the Royal rumble report. I mean, Jim Ross was usually, he was usually the one on the WWF hotline, right? Yeah, uh, by that point, the Ross report was like the staple of the WWF hotline. Um, and I, re I remember calling the WWF hotline a lot and playing trivia and, uh, you know, not really winning anything, but just you get to hear, you know, like the British Bulldog tell you, you know, that was a great answer or uh, <laughs> Big Daddy Cool being like, hey, great job. You know your stuff. And, you know, of course, we did we did that at a friend's house. So, you know, it was uh, definitely not on my dime. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I don't think the Chadster's father would have been happy <laughs> about WWF hotline. On absolutely, absolutely not. And if anybody uh, also knows me, you know that I'm not going to be that silly to put that expense out. I'm going to have somebody else uh, take care of that and milk all the benefits. I uh, get to hear a couple minutes of like Savio Vegas theme song on the um, on the WWF hotline. But yeah, the actor portraying Scheme Gene, I think he did a great job. Very funny, uh, especially when they tanned him up and gave him the comb over. I thought it was a little more accurate than just the porno stash and uh, bald cap <laughs> that he had in the first one. Um, how about Billionaire Ted himself? Now, we know that WWF loves their impersonators. They had how many times the Bill Clinton impersonator pop on, right? Yeah, special guest at WrestleMania 10. That's exactly right. And Survivor Series 95 as well. Um, this guy who played Billionaire Ted hit it out of the freaking park and deserves like an Emmy for his uh, portrayal of Ted. And if they were going to do an expose movie at that point, they could have picked this guy. Yeah, no. And but it's similar to you, though, like I don't know how much exposure I had to Ted Turner before this. I think I always I probably always looked at Ted Turner 
in my entire life after this through the prism of this billionaire tech <laughs> I just remember him at all the Brave games. He'd always be in the box with Jane Fonda and uh you know who is referenced by Larry Fling in uh one of the uh one of the sketches um they keep he keeps just referring to her as Hanoi Jane which is just very funny and again not what you think you're going to hear on WWF TV um but I just knew him as the guy who owned the Braves and owned Turner Sports and Turner Home Entertainment and I thought this was pretty damn accurate because he was just so goofy. <laughs> That's all I ever saw was Turner smiling and clapping at the games. Um, I don't yeah, know. No. This guy This guy looks, I mean, you know, facially and whatever, it kind of looked almost exactly like him. He looks facially like him. He's, his voice is it's parody amped up, but it's still kind of similar to Ted Turner the way it sounds. I mean, it's great. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know what that noise is in the background, but. There's a motorcycle going by my apartment. You say it's not uh, it's not one of the Nacho Man or the Hucksters uh, little motorized scooters coming in. Um, and then, you know, I mean, the Nacho Man guy was just kind of goofy. I can't really give him like a, a firm grade or like a firm, you know, like he, he was good at this or he was good at that. I think the guy to focus on is the Huckster because like they put a lot of effort into the Huckster's attire. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, the Huckster's hilarious. Uh, he's probably the. It's probably kind of the. I mean, the most personal shots are at Ted, I guess. But at the Huckster, it's all personal towards Hulk Hogan. He has the backwards, uh, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? the backwards uh, Hogan shirt? You know, the uh, the ripped part is in the front instead of the back. Uh, and again, it's you know, it's the shriveled physique. It's an older gentleman. Um, <laughs> the one we have on the screen now is the press conference. Um, which is just like, it's ridiculous. And he, the billionaire Ted's answering questions from the media and just ducking them left and right. But the, the nacho man and the huckster are just posing in the background. They're very, they're very distracting. If, if you follow them, the, uh, they're, they're absolute, like over the top motions are distracting, but this is where they take the dark turn around this press conference because the shots start kind of raining in that you can see are Vince McMahon directed and written. Um, you know, uh, start talking about his cheap suits. Okay, that's one thing. He buys his suits at Kmart. But then, like, calling him a hillbilly, you know, and he's backwoods and, and all this stuff. Like, this is where they take the dark turn around this one. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, <laughs> I think it's Sears, right, where he gets his suits. Oh, Sears, that was it. I thought it was Kmart. Yeah, Sears. <laughs> yeah, and then, when, and then you get to these weird news articles that they start mentioning, too, uh, where they're tr- – they're posting in what was it? The New York times Wall Street no? journal. Yeah. Wall Street, Wall Street journal. journal. Yeah. Like, yeah. Putting this effort in, you know, like to say like, <laughs> you know, this guy could own uh, half of American cable and he's choosing to go after the WWF. He could have had any night of the week for wrestling. He picked Monday and, you know, look, nitro is only a couple months old. And if it made that much of a uh, impression on Vince at this point, you knew nitro was trending in the right direction. Um, and Larry Fling live, you know, <laughs> I mean, do you get any bigger than Larry King at that point in terms of a talk show and a, and a stop for promotion for authors and actors and musicians and politicians to come on. So what are we going to do? We're going to parody Larry Fling and, and it's going to be or Larry Fling. See, I'm already getting used to calling him Larry King, calling him Larry <laughs> Fling. And then this guy, you want to talk about impersonators. This guy with the over-exaggerated jaw, <laughs> you know, like the suspenders. Yeah. 
This he guy gets an A plus too. Yeah. He does get an A plus, although I can't lie. I wish they found a young Norm McDonald to play this Larry King because yeah. Norm used to do a great Larry King impression, and it was three years after this probably. They probably could have got him for nothing to do this guy this time. But, uh, yeah, no, the Larry King guy is hilarious, and the show format is great too. I mean, he's just taking calls from the huckster and the nacho man at first. <laughs> Now, this is one I found to be very interesting because they take the uh, the storyline from WCW of the Hulkster getting hit with Miss Elizabeth's shoe. Or it was a Macho Man or Hulkster gets hit with Miss Elizabeth's shoe, and that's Hulkster, how yeah. yeah, how she turns on them and goes to uh, Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen. But they bring it up, and it ends up being used multiple times in the rest of these yeah. sketches that the Hulkster's <laughs> afraid of the lady's shoes. <laughs> yeah, there's the... There's a no high heels stipulation in the WrestleMania 12 <laughs> match between the Huckster and the Nacho Man. Yes, and for those wondering, it was Terry in Tampa um, that was calling in. That was uh, the <laughs> Huckster on the phone. I mean, again, like this is this is valuable screen time that they're putting on. So they're losing this war, but they're taking five minutes at the end of their show that instead of having a go home hot match to a pay per view, whatever they're doing this. And this is this is unbelievable that they would give it this amount of attention. Oh, there's <laughs> Hanoi Jane. There she is. <laughs> yeah, how else would you build towards a WrestleMania than the billionaire Ted skits? Which, you know, that was the culmination of this was a free-for-all Huxer versus Nacho Man geriatric match. Um, that like became just the background <laughs> to the fact that Vince was taking his five minutes to roast Turner. And, you know, when we get to some of the later ones, I think that was there like eight total or something. But when you get to the, the later ones, you know, when they start pulling out his quotes that he said and putting up the disclaimer that, you know, he, he basically this is a joke. But the quotes contained are actual quotes by the man who could control 50 percent of America's cable system like they're they're literally hammering this home. But now a little another interesting little wrinkle is the USA Network told Vince to end this and just said, you can't do this anymore because you're you're losing it. You're 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 getting too out of control. You're you're starting to kind of blur the line and eventually you're going to screw up, say something and it's going to get us sued. And we don't want to deal with that crap. Yeah, no, which is pretty crazy. Um, it, it, to think of like today's time where it seems like the WWE has a stranglehold over the USA Network, to think at this time they would step in like that and change content and get to the point where, yeah, they just they would tell Vince to a degree what he could have. I mean, they were generally doing that, but any kind of editing like that, you don't expect from USA Network, thinking of modern times. Exactly. Kind of tell yeah. you how, how they had Vince by the balls at that point, though, and, and how badly Vince was hurting that USA had the stranglehold on him instead of the other way around. Yes, exactly. Now, pause that for one second, if you can. I'll go back a hair so I can read the quotes. So they're pulling quotes from Ted Turner. This one says, as for blacks, well, most of them aren't really black anyway. They're brown. Well, aren't they? It's very seldom you see a really black black. Who's doing the research to look for this quote? Who is going out of their way in 1996 to find this Ted Turner quote? I, I mean, at that point, you have to go through like microfilm at the library to find these quotes, you know, that they're going to dig these up. And what they do in this game show segment is they pit billionaire Ted against a girl who, when it's Ted turn, he gets the answer wrong all the time. And she keeps guessing it right as it being billionaire Ted. 
And I mean, they're doing all they can. Here's the next one. Henry, what was it? Henry VIII didn't get divorced. He just had his wife's heads chopped off when he got tired of them. That's a good way to get rid of a woman. No alimony. Now, you could kind of see through that as it being said in jest. Yeah, I can't argue with that one. You know, yeah, I'm sure you would say that. (laughs) Uh, That's, you know, clearly said as like just a goofy thing, but uh uh-uh, no way throw that one on the graphic screen and we're gonna keep rolling with it and we're gonna <laughs> put this on tv trivia uh with wink martindale uh or or whoever the was this their their version of wink martindale uh on the uh the game show i guess so i was unsure as to a direct game show host they were looking to parody there i was actually trying to figure that out earlier but i guess it's probably closest to wink yeah, probably closest to Wink. And by the way, the uh, the Nacho Man cheers on Billionaire Ted during this uh, segment. And the huckster was tied to a guardrail <laughs> and could not make it in time for the uh, for the game show. Now, here's another quote. If you want to fish, go out and make a million and buy your own stream. Now, that's just stupid. I mean, it's not even like the, that's so petty. <laughs> Why would you use this quote? It's just a dumb quote. Yeah, it doesn't really make any sense. I mean, if you want to fish, just go fish. Exactly. I, I know, you know, you're quite the uh, the fishing connoisseur these days. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's it's ridiculous. Here's one more quote, okay, before we move on to the, to the final couple here. Uh, I'm worth a couple of billion dollars, and I feel poor. I really do. Now, you know, that one is killing Vince. Because at that point, Vince is like, I'm only a millionaire. I'd love to be a billionaire, and I'll get there someday. But, again, anything to humiliate this guy, is, uh, it's it's over the top. But you got to give Vince McMahon credit for sticking with it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I sort of I, I sort of admire it in a way, though. It's kind of – it's kind of I don't admire it, but it's gutsy to just put all this stuff out there just for, like, a petty personal thing. Yeah, no, it's crazy. And, uh, you know, again, this was to build towards a match, I guess, originally that would pop Vince McMahon and pop, you know, the guys in the back. I'm sure uh, Brother Brucey is probably laughing his ass off at some of these things, too. Um, But, you know, was this worth the valuable airtime on a show like WrestleMania 12 that would be remembered for the main event with uh, Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart in the Iron Man match? When, remember, last week, CP, we talked about the WrestleMania 12 pre-show tag team match that was basically forgotten. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, there's a tag team title match on this show, uh, and they're trying to make time for this. Like, if you're trying to take down these people that are taking you out, why would you kill them with this valuable airtime? Um Kind of that's where I don't, you know, I can't get on board with uh, the the motives of of poking fun at uh, at this crew. Yeah, no, I mean you could put it on just, you know, a like a or a middle match on Raw, I guess. I mean, it's on the free for all. Sometimes it's it, sometimes it's hard to get motivated to watch pre shows. Although it wasn't really at that time because the because the pay per views were so much less long than they normally are now. So yeah, no, I agree with you. It's uh definitely too, probably too much airtime to give these people, especially on a WrestleMania. Event. Yeah. I mean, you know, and look, I mean, there's nothing really much else to say. They do training montages. It's just more veil shots at Hogan and, and the nacho man. Um, and, and let's, you know, let's be frank. Hulkster's comeback in 2002 would be huge and he would be the champion. <laughs> so what are you really laughing at? 
You know, what are you really uh, poking fun at? He's going to be your champion close to 50 years old, you know, and, and Bret Hart was approaching 40 at this point. You know, he's 38, 39 years old. You know, uh, uh, Kevin Nash was, was starting to get close to 40. Uh, there were guys that you couldn't really poke fun at too much because they would eventually be in WCW and you would, <laughs> what, nine months later, have a parody of Razor and Diesel. And what was the poke at Razor and Diesel? These guys are younger. They're more athletic. They can do this. They can do that. They're not these old, you know, they're, they're, they're you know, they're not the new generation of guys. Um, I just feel like you lost sight by the end of it. You know, well, it, it really yeah. kind of went off the rails. There's so many things like that that are just so crazy when you think about them in context, though. I mean, first of all, right now, ha- like half of the current WWF ro- or WWE roster is in their 40s, I feel like. Like everybody's older in the WWF, uh, or a lot of people are. Um, and then if you think about these early sketches, I mean, they make jokes about, oh, we came here because <laughs> we came here because there's no wellness policy we could take steroids here i'm, I'm not quoting that exactly yeah basically but it's like, you're gonna take jams about that the only reason you have a wellness policy is because there was a major steroid lawsuit like three years two years prior to this like i don't know it's so crazy yeah yeah that's exactly right and that was um that was i believe that was the one where they were talking about the slogans and stealing stuff and one of the vague things oh let's let's have uh, no drug policy and g- good lord <laughs> i mean like that that that's not even something that makes logical sense. And the last one here we'll cover before we get into the wrap up because we've got some wonky time this week. Um, it's the it's a parody of the A uh, 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 Few Good Men movie with You Can't Handle the Truth, clearly filmed in Stanford, Connecticut. As you can see, the Stanford, Connecticut skyline basically behind the guys who are sitting down uh, talking to Ted. Um, but I guess at the end of it, like, what did you, what do you think this accomplished? That just that Vince had these guys in his his sights, and that he couldn't rest until he beat them, or that maybe he wanted them back, and this was like, you know, showing your ex girlfriend that you you might want her back by taking your new girlfriend around her. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's one of those things. What, what what do you think the motive was at the end of the day when these were done? Yeah, I I, I mean. I know Vince is a genius businessman, but I don't know that there's a huge motive behind it. I feel like he was, you know, he was hurt by the fact that some of his guys were his pre- premium competition at the time, starting to come up and nip on their heels ratings-wise. And then, obviously, you know, he had this visceral hatred towards Ted Turner that's, you know, dated years back, as you mentioned before. So I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think he ever – I mean, he couldn't have expected to – like people were going to see these skits and then be like, Oh, I'm never watching WCW again. Uh, maybe he did, but it seems like it's more just to get jokes out there and make fun of his enemy that he has, you know, a temporary hatred for. for yeah, a- I think it was a little, it was like a, a little bit of vindictiveness in the be goofy, but also this is kind of the time where you're segueing into the attitude era. And this is now Vince kind of, uh, you know, opening those doors and making these inside jokes now that you never would have expected from him. So it's kind of, I think him with his back against the wall, taking all these jabs to see what would work and, and, you know, getting down and dirty to do it. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And, uh, you know, these end in March 96, and by May, you have uh, Diesel is the first one to jump ship, and then Scott Hall jumps ship, and then there's the NWO. So if you weren't watching WCW, and just by chance you were like, oh, you know, I kind of miss Macho Man and Hulk Hogan and Mean Gene, I'm going to head over to uh, to Nitro, then uh, that's probably what these uh, these sketches did for you. But uh, well, that, glad That's we- weird, though, because I think they did that for me. <laughs> Yeah, they could have. And then guess what? By the time you switched over, it was NWO time. And that's uh, that's where we'll cap our story here this week. Uh, just again, it was fun to go back and watch these. It was fun to take a look at something. A, I haven't seen in a long time. But B, was just, again, silly and being a little bit, you know, dicey. But, you know, it was what it was. And it was uh, it was fun to watch. So we'll head into the wrap up here on New Generation Declassified. Uh, of course, if you want to follow anything going on in the TMPT Empire, it's TMPTEmpire.com. Uh, if you want to follow me, it's at Chad E&B on Instagram and Twitter. There you can uh, find out everything else going on in my world, all the other uh, projects happening, uh, a lot going on. So uh, that's the place to check it out. And please, feedback, feedback, feedback. Every week I hear something new. Every week I hear that somebody's enjoying something about the show that they never learned or went back to see that they didn't remember. Hopefully, you'll go back and watch some Billionaire Ted. Uh, and again, appreciate everybody for that. So, CP, I'll give the floor to you quickly. Uh, the Stick and Moves podcast, anticipating the new season. Uh, anything else you have going on, the uh, floor is yours. No, yeah, just check out season one at uh, you can Google Stick and Moves Stories podcast uh, uh, on Google, and you'll find it. Uh, you'll find the whole season if you want to listen to the season one archive. And I'm excited to be a part of another episode of New Generation Declassified, where nothing is old or unofficial. That's true. But if that motorcycle comes back, he's going to be hearing from the <laughs> chatster directly. Uh, that's for damn sure. All right, Timmy, anything you got? Closing uh, points, segments? Uh, what do you got going on in your world? Uh, nothing. Yeah, I just really got to get going to uh, call that 900 number quick. So, you know, as soon as we can say it, I'm out of here. Well, listen, get your parents' permission before you call the 900 number. one 900 Don't forget to tell them that Scheme Gene sent you. All right, well, we'll tap out this week for New Generation Declassified. For CP, for Timmy W, the crack broadcast team, this is the Chadster, and we will catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.